0: On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe.
1: When people ask me, who don't know me, they ask me what I do, I often hesitate to tell them. That's not because I'm trying to be righteous or humble or anything like that. It's more probably a weakness in me. I remember being on a golf course one day and um, joining up with these couple of guys who didn't know me. And we were playing, and as we were playing a round of golf, if you have ever played golf, uh, you might know that um, some of the coarsest language that you will ever hear is on the golf course. I've played many sports, basketball, football, baseball, a number of things, and I can honestly say <laughs> that the coarsest language I have heard in any arena has been on the golf course. And sure enough, this day, these guys were going at it, man. They were letting with every word you can imagine, imagine, and they were making up some I hadn't heard before. And then we got to the ninth hole, and finally the question came. I knew it was coming. It's inevitable. It always comes. I knew it was coming. And they said, oh, by the way, what do you do for a living? And I hesitated, and I said, Lord. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I'm a preacher. That's right. That's just what happened right there. Just that right there. It was silent. And one of them said, praise God, brother. Praise God. Praise God. There was not another curse word spoken for the rest of the round. I understand that. I know that when I tell people that I'm a preacher, it's going to change the tenor of the conversation. It's inevitable. But in a real sense, we're all preachers. When somebody asks you what you do, in a real sense, whatever vocation you have, ultimately, if you are a faithful Christian, if you are a faithful disciple of Christ, you're a preacher. You preach the word. Opportunity comes to you. You are willing and should be ready share of the glories of Christ, of his person, of who he is, and what he has done in your life, and what he is willing and able to do in the lives of others. In that sense, we are all preachers. So preaching the gospel is what we're all called to do. But someone has said that charity begins at home. And if that is true, then it's never more true when it comes to the gospel. In other words, the gospel preaching must begin at home. If I am going to faithfully proclaim the gospel to others, then I must be faithfully proclaiming that same message to myself. The gospel that I desire to have applied to your life is the gospel that I must be seeking on a daily basis to apply to my own life. Paul understood this. He understood this in First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. He says this, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In other words, he says, I must be sure that the message that I am proclaiming to you and the life-changing power that is the gospel that I say is effectual and can be effectual in your life, I must be demonstrating that in my life, lest I be disqualified. Because faithful gospel preaching begins at home. Begins. With me. And again, the Apostle Paul understood this. He understood the need to apply the gospel to himself, even as he sought and prayed for the gospel to be applied to those to whom he preached. And you, and you see this in, in this text. You see this working itself out in many, many times in the writings of, of Paul, but particularly here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As he has written this letter to the Corinthians, founded and grounded in the gospel from the very beginning, from chapter one, asserting that we preach nothing but Jesus and Him crucified, that Jesus is our salvation, He's our wisdom, He's our sanctification, that is all Christ. And then he begins to work out that gospel in the life of the Corinthian church as he applies it to the various issues the various issues of sin and disunity in the church and the difference that the gospel should be making in their lives. And then he gets to chapter 15. He's about to close out his letter, and what does he do? He says, but again, I just want to remind you once again what is really most important, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you know it. You understand it. And before you can faithfully preach the gospel to others, and more importantly to yourself, you must know what it is. And so Paul, before he closes his letter, he says, "Let me remind you once again of what's most important." And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's briefly go through this, these things that he wants them to remember, because I think if we're going to faithfully preach the gospel to ourselves this day and going forward into this year, we need to be reminded, first of all, of what the gospel is. What is it that we are to be preaching to ourselves that we might faithfully preach it to others? Well, Paul says, remember the gospel. Is this. Remember, Christ died. Remember, Christ died. Christ dying for our sins, beloved, is an inexhaustible, incomprehensible reality. Let that set on your mind and your heart this morning. Jesus died. Who died? Think about it. Who died? It was Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God of very God, the great I am, the Lord of glory, the impeccable, sinless son of God. The one who in the beginning was the word of God and the wisdom of God. The one through whom all things were created. The one who holds by the power of his word all things in this world together. The word of God becoming flesh. Flesh. Why did he die? Why was it necessary? For the Lord of glory, the word and wisdom of God, who from the beginning was, is, and shall always be the eternal I am. Why was it necessary for him to die? Because we are sinners. let that sink in perhaps you will get a greater sense of the depth of your own depravity when you understand who had to die. Jesus died because we are sinners, because we were alienated from God, because we were by nature enemies of God, because we were under the wrath of God. Christ died because we hated God. But more importantly than that, Christ died because God, despite our sinfulness and our rebellion and our wickedness and the enmity that was between us, God loved us. God loved us. This is an amazing truth, that despite of where we were and who we were, the amazing reality is that Christ died because God loves us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 through 8, the Bible says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. That's you, that's me, the ungodly. And then the Bible says, for One will scarcely die for a righteous person, and though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. We can rationalize, we can understand somebody giving their life for a good person, somebody giving their life for a righteous person. Notice, he says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, enemies of God, foreigners from the covenant promises of God. Christ died for us. He might show the love of God. Remember that. Remember, Christ died. But then don't just remember Christ died. Remember this also, that Christ is risen. Remember that Christ is risen. The resurrection of Christ is the power and the assurance of the salvation brought for us by his blood in his dying. The risen Lord is not just the what of gospel pro- proclamation, but you understand that it is also the how. How am I able to preach the gospel? It is because Christ has risen. It's not just the what I preach, it's the how I preach. Because if Christ is not risen, then there is no power to preach the gospel. But the power to proclaim the gospel and the power to understand the gospel comes from the reality that Christ is risen from the dead. But the resurrection is the linchpin of our salvation. It is the crown and the glory of the gospel we preach and believe. The crown and glory of it. Because Christ is risen, you and I are guaranteed to be saved. Because he is risen. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. The Bible says he was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The raising up of Christ is the assurance of the gospel's effectual work in our lives. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, the Bible reminds us that the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that regenerates dead hearts and assures us of eternal life that power that is latent within us it assures us of eternal life and it guarantees the effectual realities of the gospel that we proclaim to others and to ourselves remember Christ died but also remember that he is risen and then he also says but remember the testimony of the scriptures remember that remember that the gospel is not fantasy some uh, some feet up in the air fairy tale but it is according to the to the incontrovertible word of god it's not a fairy tale it's not like the hobbit have any of you seen The Hobbit? You seen The Hobbit? It's a fairy tale. Did you know that? And if you're watching The Hobbit with any kind of discerning eyes and, and, and ears and mind, you understand it's a fairy tale. Because as you're watching it and you're getting to the end, and I'm not going to blow it for any of you who haven't seen it, but if you get getting to the end, you ask yourself, why didn't they just call the birds in the first place? He could have avoided all of this trouble if they had just called the birds and the birds could have taken them straight to the mountain. And then you remind yourself, well, it is a fairy tale. <laughs> it's not the word of God. The word of God is not a fairy tale. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 tells us that the scriptures is not someone's own private fancy, a revelation, but it is the product of the Spirit's moving and the inspiration of God. Remember that. Remember that Christ dying and Christ being raised from the dead is not according to some feet-in-the-air fairy tale, but it is according to the Word of God solidly planted in the character and the person and the promises of God. Round it. That you can be assured. Remember the testimony of the Scriptures, but also remember the testimony of the witnesses. Remember the testimony of the witnesses. Because others have seen this same Jesus that you proclaim. This Jesus that we're talking about in the gospel is not just my own personal experience, but Paul says, others have seen him. Others have beheld him. This is not just some private esoteric revelation. This is verifiable truth. It's not like Joseph Smith and the Mormons where he goes out in the, into the woods and he gets his private revelation from this demonic angel. And nobody else is there and nobody else can verify it. Paul says, I don't get this on my own, but others have seen it. And he calls to mind five witnesses beside himself. He says, Peter has seen him. He says, the disciples have seen him. 500 others have beheld him. James has seen the resurrected Lord. And the rest of the apostles, they have all seen the resurrected Lord. And you know what is is, is the amazing thing about this? In verse 6. In verse 6, there is the insinuation that if you don't believe me, Paul says, you can go ask him. Go ask somebody because most of them are still alive. You know what it says? It says to me that don't underestimate the testimony of the brothers and sisters to the grace and the power of the gospel in their lives others have seen him others have come to know Jesus there are others sitting around you in the community who have experienced the resurrected Lord ask them you're not alone Remember, God has given other witnesses in your community so that you can go to them and hear the testimony of what Christ has done in their life. Ask them while they're still alive. Ask them. Remember, remember, remember Christ died. Remember Christ has risen. Remember the testimony of the scriptures. Remember the testimony of the witnesses. What's the common theme there? Remember. Remember. Why? As Joe Thorne says in his book, Note to Self, Preaching the gospel to yourself is not so much uncovering new truth as much as it is reminding yourself of the truth we tend to forget. It's just reminding yourself of the truth that you tend to forget. Jesus died, Jesus risen. The scriptures testify to it, others can testify to the same. Remember that. here is the remarkable thing. There's a transition that takes place because Paul moves from the explanation to personal application. He explains the gospel, and then he moves from the explanation to personal application. It is as if Paul preaches the gospel at the beginning, at the first part of this passage. But then in the latter half of our passage, he says, ah, but this is good to me because this is the difference it has made in my life. And now he begins to almost, in a real sense, preach to himself. He begins to preach to himself. He says, and last of all, he appeared also to me. He appeared also to me. Here is the remembrance. Here is to remember that you have met Jesus, that the gospel has become personal to you, and it makes all the difference. It's for you. He has appeared. And when the gospel comes, and it really comes. There's three things this passage tells us the gospel does. And I really want you to get this. The gospel breaks you. The gospel makes you. And the gospel takes you. First thing we see Paul, Paul is reminded of and he teaches the Corinthians, and therefore he teaches us, is that the gospel breaks you. It just breaks you down. those who understand the gospel most see themselves as least. They are just broken down by the grace of God. And the fact that Christ had to die for your sins should remind you every day that you are a sinner. Every day that you are a sinner. At least it did for Paul. Every day Paul reminded himself. That he was a sinner because every day he sought to understand the gospel. And when you understand it every day, it reminds you, Christ died, why did he die? Because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. It breaks you down. It Causes a self-examination, doesn't it? A right hearing of the gospel and understanding of the grace of God in Christ Jesus leads to a proper and right understanding of self. Notice what Paul says. Notice how he describes himself. He says, I am, he appeared to me as one untimely born. Untimely born. The word there literally means. A miscarriage born premature. In other words, Paul is saying that this that, that my salvation is unnatural. I shouldn't be saved. I should not be saved. He appeared to one he shouldn't have appeared to. He shouldn't have appeared to me. Do you think, do you really think this morning that you should be saved? Anybody who is here thinks that they should be saved. I'm glad, I'm glad nobody raised their hand. I'm really glad nobody raised their hand. That's the fact of the matter is, if you understand the gospel, then you know I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. He appeared to me as one. Untimely, one, and it wasn't natural for him to come to me. And then he says, but not only untimely born, but I was the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the apostles. In other words, he says, I'm least important. Of all those that Christ has appeared to and all those that he has called, I'm the least of them the least worthy, the least important. But then he says, well, I'm unworthy, unfit. I'm unfit. I'm insufficient. Untimely born, least of the apostles, unworthy of this grace. And this is not unusual for Paul, so that you don't think that all of a sudden Paul just got into this This weird introspection where now he's looking at himself and he's beginning to feel low and his self-esteem is dropping for a moment. Understand that this is not unusual for Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, he refers to himself as nothing. Calls himself Nothing. In Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 8, he says that he is the least of all God's people. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, he says that he is the worst of sinners. You know, contrary to what is often taught and contrary to what we often believe, You know, my biggest problem is me. My biggest issue is me. You know, and, 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 and yes, coming from a broken home and coming from broken communities and broken environments is hard. And, and coming from abusive relationships are not to be taken lightly for the sins of others upon us are real and they are hurtful. And yet the gospel also reminds me, however, that my greatest problem is me. It's me. You'll never understand the grace of God if you sugarcoat your own sinfulness and blame others for it. You'll never know it. Paul did. Because over and over again, he was reminded it's not his mama, it's not his daddy, it's not his teacher's it's not his neighborhood, it's not his environment, it's me. I am the biggest issue here. Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, Alas and did my Savior bleed. And he wrote these words, Alas and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die, would he devote that sacred head For such a worm as I, for such a worm as I. Unfortunately, today in most modern hymnals, because, you know, we have these sensibility issues and we have these self-esteem issues and we really don't want to consider ourselves all that bad. So we've changed those words from such a worm as I, and we say things like, for sinners such as I, or for someone such as I. After all, who wants to refer to themselves as a worm? Yet I believe Paul would have agreed with why. If you're going to understand the gospel that breaks you down, and you're going to have to agree with him too with all due respect to the worm. When you do, you understand that proclaiming the gospel to myself is rightly seeing myself at the cross and then knowing that every blessing is undeserved. Every joy is unearned. Every moment of peace and comfort is graciously inspired by God in Jesus Christ. (laughs) The gospel breaks down. The gospel not only breaks you, you, understand too, doesn't leave you there. Then it makes you. It breaks you and then it makes you over. It begins creating a new you. So that you understand as Paul understood that I am not ever have been a self-made man. But I am a grace-made man. Grace makes me. We understand, Paul says that he was a blasphemer, that he was covetous, that he was ambitious, that he was insolent, that he was hard headed, that he was a persecutor of Christ and a conspirator against Christ and the church. And yet, notice what the gospel calls to mind. It calls to mind not only his sin and his transgression, but then it doesn't leave him there. Paul begins to say that I'm untimely born, I'm I'm unworthy, I'm unfit because I persecuted the church. I persecuted and pursued Christ to the end of destroying him, his testimony, and the church. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't have a pity part. He doesn't just wallow in that and say, Woe is me. What does he do? Understand the gospel doesn't allow that. For so the gospel that breaks you down is the gospel that begins to make you over again. Doesn't allow it. How do we know? Because of the gospel conjunction in verse 10. What? But. what? Paul says, I was unworthy, but. I was, I'm insufficient, but. I was untimely born, but. I persecuted the church. I was insolent. I was a blasphemer. I was covetous, but. Remember I told you last week, if you were here. Don't forget, don't overlook those glorious gospel conjunctions, particularly the buts. Look at them and begin to sing, conjunction, junction. What's your function? Pointing me to Christ in all his glorious distinction. And that's what it does. But... Uh, By the grace of God, I am what I am. By his grace, I am what I am. What are you, Paul? I'm redeemed by the grace of God. I'm forgiven by the grace of God. I'm restored by the grace of God. I'm free by the grace of God. I am empowered by the grace of God. I am new by the grace of God. All that I am and all that I have, I have by the grace of God. This is where I get my esteem. This is preaching the gospel to yourself. This is where you get your esteem. Not from self, you get it from Christ. You don't get it from what others think of you, you get it from Christ. You don't get it from what you do or what you don't do. You get it from Christ. You don't get it from what others say. You get it from what Jesus has said. You Get it from what the gospel says about you. You notice, you know what I notice about Paul? when he's writing these things, when he's retelling his testimony and he gets to these glorious conjunctions, he doesn't mind telling you about his sin. He doesn't mind being reminded of his sinfulness. Why? Because Paul is comfortable in the gospel skin. Not his own. But he's comfortable in the skin of grace. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 16 says this The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost but There it is again conjunction junction what's your function pointing me to grace and all of his glory But I received mercy. But the grace of God overflowed to me. But I am who I am by the mercy and the grace of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. conjunction junction but you were washed you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god it's the gospel It's the gospel who tells me who I was, but it is also the gospel that assures me of who I am in Christ. It breaks me down, but doesn't leave me there. It begins to make me over into the image of Christ according to the grace of God. So that You don't just hear the one side of the cross. You don't just hear that you are a sinner. But you hear the other side. That you've been saved. You don't just remind yourself of the depravity that is there. But you also remind yourself. Of the work of God in Christ Jesus to lift you out of the Mary Clay and plant your feet on solid ground to stay. That's what you remind yourself. The gospel rakes me, but then the gospel makes me. This is why it's necessary. That to know that you, your flesh, and Satan and the world will remind you of your sin. It's his job. That's what your flesh is gonna do. You got know, these fleshly thoughts and these fleshly thoughts are gonna remind you of your sin. Satan is gonna remind you of your sin. The world is gonna remind you of your sin. But anytime you, the, the flesh of Satan or the world reminds you of your sin, you remind them all of your Savior. Remind them of Christ. Remind them that you are new in Christ Jesus. Remind them because of the gospel that it not only has broken you, but it is making you over. Behold, all things are made new in Christ. And you are in Christ. It's the gospel not only breaks you. The gospel makes you then, beloved, the gospel takes you, takes you, takes you where God wants you to go, takes you. The work of Christ for me is the fuel and the motivation for my work for him. It fuels me. Get up in the morning and you ask yourself, what's my motivation? How many times you ask yourself that, Mo? Too many times. I know. What's my motivation? What's my motivation? What moves you to do what you do? What gets you out of the bed in the morning and on your way? The money, influence, family, friends, love, recognition, notoriety, fame. What moves you? You know what moves, Paul? The Gospel. It's the grace of God. It is the grace of God that moved him. I have to ask myself, you know, why do I preach? No, well, Jason, why do you preach? Why? No, well, Jeremy, why do you, why do you play? You know, why do you serve in the kitchen Sunday after Sunday? Guys, why do you serve in the audio team? Why do you serve in the nursery? Wendell, why do you teach? You do it for fame, you do it for influence, you do it for recognition. Surely you're not doing it for pay. <laughs> Paul says he ran farther, he worked harder, he fought longer than any of the other disciples. Why? For fame? Nope. For fortune? Nope. For friends and recognition? No. He ran because, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, the love of Christ compelled him. He had come into the knowledge of the love of God in Christ Jesus and it fueled the engine that ran for God. That compelled him because he knew Jesus really. You ask him, how do you run? Because Jesus is real. And if he's real, you're going to run. If you know he's real, you can't help but run. For Paul said, I ran farther, I worked harder, I fought longer, and yet not I it was the grace of God in me because there is a power laden in me by the gospel that compels me to run, and woe to me if I don't. Has I known that Jesus is real? This is this this the gospel was Paul's five hour energy. That was it. Some of us we addicted on that stuff, aren't we? Can't get through the afternoon without a monster drink. Drinking caffeine and coffee all day long. Oh, I know I talked to somebody there, didn't I? Five-hour energy drinks, whatever you can to get through the day. Paul says it is the grace of God that fuels me. It gets me up. It keeps me going. It lays me down in anticipation of what I'm going to do the moment I wake up. It's the love of God that moves me every moment of every day. Don't get it twisted. Paul says, don't get it twisted. You see me doing all that I'm doing, it's not me. It's the grace of God in me that compels me, that pushes me on Why? Because the right understanding of the gospel is the best motivation. The gospel that breaks you, the gospel that makes you, is the gospel that takes you where God desires you to go, pushes you forward. That's why you got to tell yourself all the time, you got to remind yourself all the time that God loves you despite what you or others say about you. He loves you. Remind yourself that the blessings of God are not earned. It's not a beauty contest. It's not a popularity contest. It's all by the grace of God. Just because you fall today doesn't mean that you're not to get up and start running again tomorrow. Because if you know that God loves you, his love compels you, get up and get running again. His love for you hasn't waned. The love of others might. But not his. As in Wayne. Because he desires not only to break you and to make you, but he guys will take you. He's gonna take you where he wants you to go. Get up. Get up. That's fuel in your tank. Just get up. That's power. If you just get up. Sovereignly given, cross-directed, and blood bought grace of God is yours. yours. As it watch says, Alas, and did my Savior please, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head to such a worm as I at the cross? At the cross where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. That's where it comes from. That's where my joy comes from. At the cross. That's where my happiness lies. When I behold Christ. All the day. So understand it, they may take your job, but they can't take your joy. Why? Because I'm beholding Christ all the day. Isaac Watts says, Amazing pity and grace unknown. And there is a love that is beyond. Thee. Watts understood the gospel as well as anybody. And he understood that his motivation was not in himself. It was in the love of God. It was in the gospel of God. Remind yourself. Preach that to yourself every day. I am an unworthy sinner, undeserving of any of God. God has loved me in Christ Jesus, and despite what I see or, or what I do in Christ, I am new. I am being made over, and His love for me is sufficient unto all things. and then get up and run for Jesus and remind yourself it's not i but the grace of god that is in me don't listen to yourself speak to yourself and tell yourself it's not i it's the grace of god Run on, and run on, and run on. Let us preach. Let us proclaim the gospel to others, and let us never neglect to remember. Charity begins at home. And that which I preach to others, I must be diligent to preach to myself, lest I be found. To